Welcome to the Success Inspired Podcast, a business and personal development podcast to help you accomplish more in life and realize your true potential. And now here is your host, Vit Muller. Hello, everybody. My guest today is an ex-helicopter and airline pilot who's turned military staff officer and eventually a management consultant. He has worked with senior leaders across industries, helping them tackle tough problems. Please welcome to the show, Travis Wright. Hey, Vid. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and, and to chat with you today. Hi, Travis. Yeah, great to have you on the show, mate. Great to have you on the show. Um, today, we'll talk about, obviously, leadership and what you guys do at 3 Gimbals. Uh, gimbals. Uh, but first, let's break the ice here with our listeners who may not know you. Um, I know you're into you know, writing books, taking on um, home projects, tinkering with 3D printing and you know, a variety of other bits and pieces. What's the latest home projects you've been working on? So I'm actually, I'm a, hopefully I'm going to finish it up this weekend, but um, we have a garage and so I've closed off half of the garage and um, we've made it to a big, big mud room. So I have my kids help me. We put in a floor, we put in a wall and drywall and, and all that kind of stuff, a bunch of cabinets. And so I've got to finish up the cabinets this weekend and, and get those all in and hung up. And, uh, and I think we'll finally be done and be somewhat organized where we have all our shoes and jackets in one place and that sort of thing. So um, that's the latest one. Right, right. Making up a little bit extra storage for, for things to put in, in your garage. Awesome. Well, guess what? I've actually been uh, working in my own garage too, just, just yesterday. Because <laughs> uh, me and partner, we've moved to a, a new place. And it's a double garage. And um, I said to my partner, I said, like, nah, it's not going to be co- for the cars. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there's so, no cars in mine either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've been putting up gym flooring and um, cleaning that up. Oh, um, okay. And yeah, I'm going to turn it into a gym. And also nice. a bit of a production space for some videos and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's great to have those little hobbies, isn't it? It is. You know, it's it, I really, and I think the reason I really like those home projects is it's that instant gratification. It's like if you paint a wall, you know, it's it's done. You know, it may take a day or half day or whatever, but you like, you can, at the end of the day, you can look back at it and say, yeah, look, I did that. And, uh, and, and the same thing with this garage project. And I'm sure you feel the same way. You know, you kind of, see that instant change and everything. And if you're like, ah, I, you know, I accomplished something today, you know, even if it's not completely done, at least you've made some steps toward it. And uh, yeah, it's a really good feeling. So I, I do Absolutely. enjoy it. Absolutely. And I mean, how important is sense of accomplishment for anybody, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and to feel like you're, you're doing something that matters, you know, even when something simple as that project, right? When we come in in the winter time and we're able to kick off our our snowy, uh, you know, uh, wet shoes and that sort of thing out in the garage instead of trips and through the house and, and that sort of thing. It'll be like, wow, I'm glad, I'm glad we did this uh, type of thing. And it, it leads to you know, a little bit of a bigger purpose, which is kind of nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> now, um, I'm also interested in your 3D printing. What's the latest you've been printing on? Yeah, you know what? This 3D printing, I, I, in theory, it's all really great. I'm really still struggling with it and trying to figure it out. Mm. It's one of those areas where there's there's so many uh different settings and choices and and all that sort of thing i thought i'd be able to like oh, just download a file and hit print and you know give it a couple hours and it'll go and it's, it's not quite like that it's uh you know there's thicknesses you have to worry about and the mm. the um the different materials that you use and in fact i had it here in my office uh, for a while and uh, when you do this it's it does it layer by layer so it takes you know hours for it to do once you get yep. all the settings right so I had it here in my office and I didn't realize how sensitive they were to temperature because uh, it's here in the summertime uh, here in, uh, in DC and the air conditioning was blowing on it. And just that little bit of change in temperature screwed it up. I had it to just like this big stringy mess of plastic and everything when I came back a couple hours to check on it. So yeah, right. um, definitely, you know, learning from my, my failures on, on that. And it's a pretty steep learning curve, but you know, it's fun. I, I do enjoy it. Now, learning learning curves is is a is a is a common thing that you write about in your book, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're you know, and, and it's learning from failure too. So it's learning from mistakes. And one of the things about this is that you know, there's some power in actually saying, you know, I'm going to screw up. I'm going to make a mistake. Um, you know, none of us are perfect. You know, something's going to happen that we're going to screw up. And there's, there's some power in just kind of claiming that like, all right, yeah, I'm probably going to screw something up. Not out of, you know, it, intentionally, of course. Um, but you can make your own mistakes. That's kind of where the name of the book, 
uh, comes from is making new mistakes because you want to make your own mistakes. You want to make the same mistakes somebody else has made in, um, in whatever you're doing. So like in 3D printing, I'm, you know, looking at see what other people have done, figure out the setting, at least finding a starting point. Same thing with the home projects, right? At least finding a, you know, some sort of plan and whatever, realizing that I'm going to correct some of the errors that I made, the measurements that I get wrong and that sort of thing. But the more I can take those uh, errors out of there, the better. And a lot of that also came from my, uh, my aviation background because for every aircraft that I was in or ever flew, it, it all had, they all had a checklist. And you would have to go in and, and go through each of the items on there. And sometimes, unfortunately, you know, the, the mistakes that other people have made have caused uh, those items to be in the checklist because you know, they've either um, damaged the aircraft or themselves or something like that. And they kind of learn mm. things the hard way. So you know, it's a great way to, to remember, like, this is why I'm doing this, this check and doing it this way, doing it in this order. Uh, to make sure that you know I, I don't make those uh, mistakes, and again, in aviation is a little bit higher stakes than you know than in a, a knowledge uh, worker, but it's still you know it, it still can be costly. So tell me, um, I'm actually interested in that because since you touched on you know being a pilot, what compelled you to to become become one? So ever since I was five years old, I, I was like, man, I want to be, I want to fly. I, you know, I don't know what it is, but I just you know I always was fascinated with airplanes and just anything that that flew. Mm -hmm. And it was really fortunate because it, it helped me in knowing at that young of an age what I wanted to be. I just kind of, um, my whole high school, you know, or uh, uh, teenage education that I went through, it was all focused around flying. Um, I started flying lessons when I was 15. I read every book I could find on, on flying. I built uh, all these uh, plastic models and my bedroom had them hanging from the ceiling in, in my uh, in my bedroom and that sort of thing um, so I was just really fascinated with flying I went to a bunch of bear shows all that sort of thing and I think it's the I think it's the challenge of the flying it's being you know it's the different perspective you know when you're actually uh, up in the air and be able to, you know, to look down and that sort of thing is I really liked um the feeling of flying and having this, it's, it's kind of like driving, a, I don't know if you've ridden motorcycles or ridden a motorcycle, but it's kind of like, like that same sort of feeling of the power, like you're connected to the machine type of thing. Um, that really has kind of kept me hooked for a long time on, on flying. And then the challenge of, you know, how can I get better? I want to fly, you know, a more complex aircraft or something a little faster or, or bigger or that sort of thing um, and find out what that's like and fly different places. And yeah, I just really, was really drawn to it. And I'll tell you a quick funny story. So when I was probably 10 or 12, I remember I was reading this book and it's talking about, I think, fighter pilots. And um, it said that you could tell the, the, um, the hardened fighter pilots because they, they had crow's feet uh, at, the, at the corners of their eyes from squinting through the, through the windscreen and, and everything. So here I am, like I said, I'm like 10 or 12 years old and I'm in the bathroom, I'm in the mirror, and I'm, I'm squinting my eyes. I'm trying to get my own crow's feet so I can look like I'm a grizzled pilot, you know, at, at 10 years <laughs> old. So, <laughs> but that's um, how much I love flying. So, yeah. And so you went, you went, you started become, uh, you, firstly, you became a helicopter pilot, and then you went on a bigger plane? Yeah, so I started off with the, uh, in the Army and uh, as a helicopter pilot, and it had a great time. I was extremely fortunate. I started very young. I graduated flight school when I was, uh, I just turned 19 when I graduated. And um, I, then for about 10 years, I flew every aircraft that I wanted to. I flew about five different helicopters, all kinds of different units, and, and really had a, a wonderful time. But after about 10 years, I'm like, all right, what's next? You know, I, I kind of need, what's the next think the next challenge, you know, the next place I want to go and that sort of thing. And so that maybe it's not in the army. Let me, let me try something else. Mm. And so I looked at the, uh, the airlines they were hiring at the time. This was before nine 11 and they were hiring, um, a lot. And so I said, well, let me, you know, if I'm going to make the jump, let me go now. I'm still young and I can go do it. And, uh, and so I did, and, uh, I was lucky enough to, to be hired and, I had a great time. I flew for probably um, know, like three or four years as an airline pilot, yep. but then I balanced that. So here in the States, uh, a first year airline pilot doesn't make a whole lot of money. Uh, we're on probation and it's uh, $17,000 US um, my first year, which is peanuts. That's, not, that's, that's peanuts, yeah. Yeah, so it was pretty, pretty awful. So I joined the National Guard part-time to kind of supplement my income. Um, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, it was, it was great. So I got to fly helicopters and, and airplanes and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really good time. Is that something that like with, with the income for, for, um, that obviously talking about commercial airline pilots, yeah. um, is that still the case? 
are they still like being paid so little in the first year or that sort of stuff? Is that so, during the probation or? Yeah, exactly. It's during probation. And I think a lot of that, uh, I think it has changed. And again, this was, like I said, it was you know, almost 20 years ago. Um, and it, there were some accidents, unfortunately, that, that happened. And so they said, well, look, we need to get you know, better trained pilots. They need to have mm-hmm. more hours and that sort of thing. Um, and then obviously all bets are off now with the, with the pandemic. But, but yeah. prior to the pandemic, I think it was getting better um, when, it, when it came to that. So, yeah, I, I hope so for sure. Now, moving to from, you know, being, being a helicopter pilot to, to commercial plane, it, it, anything like every next step comes with its own, um, of its own uh, challenges, right? Mm-hmm. What's the best way to approach challenges? Do you have a method that you find is effective? Yeah, so, well, I guess I'll start with the, the aviation example, right? So it's having a framework, and, and I'm a big fan of mental models. And, um, and I think this comes from my aviation background, because, like I said, I flew probably half a dozen different helicopters and probably half a dozen or more different airplanes. And each time I went to train on them, I, I, I knew that there were certain things I would have to know for each of the airplanes. So we talked about the checklist, right? So I need to at least be familiar with the check off checklist and the things that I'm looking at. Then there are other things where I needed to know the limitations, how fast can I fly? You know, what are certain airspeeds when I can do different maneuvers and that sort of thing. And I needed to know the limitations of, you know, uh, like I said, you know, uh, some of the airspeed stuff, but also the, the type of fuel, how much, the oil pressures and all that sort of thing, engine temperatures, all those sorts of things that I knew I would have to memorize and I would need to know those things. Um, and then once I uh, learned all of those things, I would need to learn the systems. And so it didn't matter which aircraft that I was flying, I would need to know those things. So as soon as I knew I was going to fly something new, I would get the, the manual, the instructions uh, or, uh, manual basically the owner's manual yep. and, and look at it and, and just start memorizing and not, you know, not knowing what the numbers meant or anything like that yet, not having that, that correlation yet, but at least getting the numbers in my head and getting familiar with them and the procedures and, and that sort of thing. And the other big piece is knowing the emergency procedures. So when something goes wrong, when the engine quits, what do you do? And other things go wrong. What do you do? That sort of thing. So, um, so having, and at the time I didn't know that was, you know, sort of a mental model, but it, but it is. And it's a process of learning. Yeah, exactly. Just figure out a way to start on, on, on how to how to bucket these things and, you know, taking a, you know, how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time and knowing where to start is Absolutely. is the big piece of that. Um, and so that's how I did that uh, for flying. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense because, I mean, it's kind of like how, how our brain works as well, right? It's sort of yeah. compartmentalized things and then they're sort of connected through the neural network. So, I guess it makes sense if you, if you, and especially with, with what you were doing, I mean, it's very technical, technical, uh, uh, knowledge that you have to acquire, right? Like you said, you know, understanding different fuels, different temperature, temperatures and, and all those sorts of things. So yeah, it makes perfect sense to sort of yeah. put them into different things. I know when I was you know, <clears throat> in school, uh, I've never really been a good learner, but, um, for me, what worked was, um, or a, a, a different variety of methods. So I was, I was obviously I would read read the text, read the information. Um, that typically didn't work, but I would then record myself on a on an audio player. So then I would listen to myself and then read as well. And then I would get to a point where I would just keep it playing um, in my ears, just constantly. And then when I would go home, I would then start writing little notes from that. And then. The next next step was um, creating little cheat sheets, as if I was to take a little cheat sheet mm-hmm. to the to the exam, right? Yep. But I would actually never use it. That's one thing I learned from my dad because he he did um he um he decided to study university at the age of forty five. Oh wow! To, yeah, he wanted, him. To, yeah. He wanted to, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so he wanted to catch up. Um, and he would always do these little cheat sheets, and I'm like, oh come on, you can you can do it. Like no 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 I actually never I actually never use them. It's just a, a method of learning because when you're creating that cheat sheet, you're 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 limited to a small space. You can only put certain certain bullet points, certain keyboards that'll then help you. Like if you see them, they'll help you memorize the full thing. And so by doing that, again, he was sort of just creating the system around it. So. Well, and, and that's, both of those are great examples if, um, you know, as a leader, it's figuring out what, you know, knowing yourself, most importantly, right, how you learn and how you lead and how you can, um, how you convey your message to either your audience or to your team or, or your organization or whatever, and knowing what works for you, but then, all, then taking that one step further and 
like how does my team learn? What do they what do they need, and how are they going to accept this information? And 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 knowing uh, those things makes things so much easier. And sometimes you have to learn it through trial and error, you know, unfortunately. But but a lot of times you can kind of figure out like, all right, these are a bunch of you know IT people, so they're probably gonna they'd prefer a an email from me as opposed mm. to you know me coming by and, and talking to them and engaging them in you know, conversation yeah. being stereotypical there, but things like that, right. Whatever the, the example is, is kind of finding out uh, what they, uh, their styles and how you can adapt. And really as a leader, you need to adapt your style to, you know, your, your team um, to, you know, to make sure your message gets across. Absolutely. Everybody's got different learning preferences as well. And you want to be able to get that message across to the whole team. And that's ultimately what's going to, what's going to result in, in an effective, you know, implementation whatever that may be but with what you guys do it's all about innovation isn't it yeah three gumballs um yeah, yeah let's talk yeah, about it, that i'm very interested i was looking at the website i'm like wow yeah, yeah. geo intelligence open source data human machine integration all those things so uh keen to unpack that a little bit for for our listeners and for me I'll, I'll, I'll do the best i can because i'm not an analyst uh i don't do those things but i i, I can talk about them at a, at a really high level for, for sure so as you know there's you know there's so much data that, that's out there that and leaders have to look through all of this data regardless of what industry they're in there's just so much coming at them you know they don't even know where to start like 20 years ago you're looking for a needle in a haystack when it came to, to data and now you're looking for a needle and a stack of other needles, right? Make sure you find find the right one because you, you don't, there's no context to it all. This, we're definitely not suffering from a lack of data. There's so much that's out there. And so what we found is that there are ways to layer a lot of this data using, we call fusing it, um, in uh, these different slices of, uh, of data using geospatial as our base, which is, you know, imagery, and then using um, other you know, types of data on top of that to kind of tell this full story about what is happening and uh, uh, opening up these different uh, contexts and, and that sort of thing. And even before we get that far, what we're really doing is talking to the leader and saying, look, you've got all this stuff coming at you. They don't even know what questions to ask a lot of times. So we go through a process with, with them where we talk about, you know, what's, what's important, what's your mission, what are you looking for, what are you hoping to find, uh, and, and that sort of thing. Um, that's for any company, both public and, and private? Yeah, well, so we just work with um, public companies uh, mm-hmm. in, in the government Okay, is, is what we do. And is mostly in the intelligence uh, arena. So they're looking at you know, different areas. And again, you think there's so much coming in in the business uh, realm in the intelligence community, there's just you know, even more coming mm-hmm. in uh, to them. So just trying to make sense of, of all that that's going on. Because if if you're in a business and you screwed up, well, maybe you miss out on an opportunity and you know, the balance sheet isn't that great at the end of the year or that sort of thing in the intelligence community, stakes are much higher, obviously. And um, so they, they need to get it right, you know, just about every time. And so it's, it's, a, it's an honor to be working with them and helping them to uncover those insights and make these connections that they might be able to make in, in a normal situation. So mm-hmm. it's really exciting work. And the, uh, we're really focused on our, our people, our analysts are really the, our special sauce. Uh, they're very creative thinkers and very much critical thinkers on what they look at. They're just the way that they can make these connections. I've seen them in action and it, it's really amazing to, to see these different insights they can pull together. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really kind of cool the way that they can make these tools sing and make these connections. I'm like, no yeah. idea how you did that, but that was that was pretty cool. So yeah, because we live in we live in a times where you know everything is so fast paced, and like you said, there is so mm-hmm. much data, and and the innovation is at such a fast pace that you know the next morning you wake up and there's a new thing, there's a new innovation, new software or new whatever. And if you're running a business, you're running a company or organization, whatever that may be, um, you need to be able to stay relevant, stay current, and either you know innovate or, or look at disruption you know and um right and um but the big one with making that decision what would be that next step is is looking at all that data and and understanding the correlation right and that's i think what's really hard for a lot of people like i look at all that data i'm like okay, well that's all great information now how can i correlate that to to an actionable step absolutely absolutely and i talk uh I've- in my book, I talk about that a little bit too, is, you know, just because, you know, 
um, everybody in your, your industry is using blockchain. Does that mean you need to make the, the jump to blockchain, right? And mm. whatever application it is or, or uh, robotic processing automation or, or whatever it is, whatever the buzzword is today, right? Um, do you need to necessarily make the jump towards that just because everybody else is or just because it's the hottest thing out there? Mm. And it's really thinking about what we talked about before, right? It's what is right, you know, what do my customers need? What does my business need? Because the right solution for, for what you're doing that may not be the right solution for what my company in the very same industry in the same town is doing. It's our customers that we really need to focus on when it comes to a, to a business and, and what do they need um, and, and how can we best serve them? And that will help drive what are those innovations that we need to, um, that we need to focus on uh, going Absolutely. forward. So, yeah. Now, the other thing is obviously also it can get chaotic, right? With so much going on. So what, what is a, like a good effective method for a leader out there to, to navigate through the disruption with, with the most minimum chaos? Yeah, so a, a big piece of this, uh, this actually applies to just the leader that you're asking about, right? Um, in the business sense, but it can also Like an executive, to, president, CEO. Yeah, exactly. It can apply to them, but then it can also apply to someone who's just yeah, in their career in general. And what I recommend a lot of times is having a, uh, an informal board of advisors. And what that is, it, it could be as many people or as few as, you know, it's up to you, right? Whatever makes sense. And there's no formal like board meetings or anything like that. This is just your know, people that you reach out to. These are your go-to people. So as we said at the beginning, right, it's knowing yourself, right? Knowing your, um, what I call your flat spots, the places that you're weak or, you know, you need some help in. And for me, that's the technical area, right? When we're just talking about the analysts, like, ah, I don't get that, right? Uh, yeah. I don't do that. But I've got people that are super smart that I can reach out to and I can say, hey, can you explain this to me? Or what do you think about that? I read about this. Does this make sense to you? And they'll be like, oh, no, that's dumb. Don't do that. Or, or yeah, hey, maybe that is something new I, I haven't read about. Mm -hmm. So it's knowing yourself uh, and then knowing this sort of team around that can, that can uh, hold you accountable and inform you. So in addition to having a role like a technical expert is having someone who is a... Um, so it kind of the crass word, I, yeah, I come up like your booger friend, right? So if you have something hanging from your nose, you know, people will just kind of look away or maybe give you one of these or whatever. But, you know, I have a friend who's like, dude, are you going to name that thing hanging out your nose, right? They, they hold you account, like they're going to call you out on your yeah. BS and you know, and they know you, but they're doing straight, it. Straight of, shooters. Exactly. Yeah, that's probably a better way to say it. But yeah. That's right. Um, but they're going to give you, uh, yeah, the, the, the straight, you know, uh, skinny on, on what you're doing. But they're not doing it in a like a, a mean girl way. They're doing it in a way because they, you know, they're the problem like solvers. It. Exactly. So it's finding those people. So when you come up with this idea, and I, this happens to me quite a bit, I'll come up with this great idea. It's like, oh, this is the best thing ever, you know, and, and, and that sort of thing. And then I go to my friend who serves that straight shooter role for me, and she'll be like, dude, you're smoking crack. That's dumb. That's never going to work. Did you think about this, this, and this? And I'm like, all right, you're right, you know, and, and maybe I can improve my idea or that sort of thing, but having somebody that can kind of hold you accountable that way. Mm. Um, and maybe having some other, you know, you're going to have hard days too, right? So you need somebody who's going to be sort of your champion, sort of, you know, you know, you know the eternal optimist who's going to be on your side. And, and when you're kind of having a down day, it's like, ah, I'm not cut out for this. There's no way I can do this sort of thing where they're like, hey, you're doing a good job. Remember what you did last week or last month or, you know, you're headed in the right direction. You just need that little pick me up. And uh, whenever I have those days, I have someone who I call and it's like, oh, man, I'm having a rough day. And they'll just kind of pick me up and kind of set my perspective in, in, in the right way. And all of these um, roles are really just kind of keeping you focused on what's important. And, uh, and, and moving, moving forward so you don't get distracted by these, these other uh, areas. And there could be other roles. You know, it, again, it, depend, it's, it depends on you, what you need, your style, and that sort of thing, what your different flat spots are, and that sort of thing. But that's a couple of roles to think about. Um, and, and a lot of that applies to your uh, career development sort of thing. Yep. When you're thinking about it as executive and making those um, decisions, that sort of thing, it's thinking about those same types of roles and that can be in your company. It doesn't have to be. It can be somebody else that you reach out to. And nobody else needs to know, right? And, and again, these people don't need to know that, you know, they're on your board or whatever. Um, it's more for you to, to understand that. But you're reaching out to these and just getting these other opinions. It's because it seems like the higher we get up into the leadership chain, that the more people want to please us. And it's not, a, it's not like a, you know, they're not sucking up 
really like they want to they want to have the right answer they want to look good and they want you to look good uh, in most yeah. cases and so it's not that they don't want to tell you it's that they just want to tell you good news and it's just a, a human reaction right that they want to do so having that it's not always a counter opinion but just having a more sometimes a more informed opinion on things is, is helpful i find for a lot of leaders to you know, ask good questions and that sort of thing. I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, because if you got a team and everybody is a yes man or woman, it, you're not going to get anywhere because they just, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, it doesn't make, it, it's, it's not a true reflection of people's actual opinions. I think, I mean, with, with, with solving problems or any opinions for that matter, I mean, there is, there's always going to be uh, a scale. And, and if everybody's on that one side of that scale, it's like, well, um, you never get that fresh new perspective, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I talked to a friend who said, you know what? Um, we should have more like science fiction writers on, on, on a team that, mm. you know, kind of think out there that kind of stretch the thinking a little bit, right. That it yeah. kind of, they live in, in that sort of fantasy world. And that's great because it, just to your point, right. Everybody's kind of clustered around over here. You've got this other person kind of Kind of pulling you a little bit, where it will bring you um, bring you to a place that you never would have gotten to as as a team. So having a, a diverse team, uh, I think, is really important as well to get the different uh, perspectives and ideas and that sort of thing in there. It just makes you better. But obviously, that only works with an open mindset as well. So as a leader, you have to have that open mindset and take all the opinions mm-hmm. um, as an op- as an opinion, not as a as a yeah. critique. Because right? yep. I know, yeah. like, <laughs> so yeah, easy that- to 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 um you know to have that ego and just say now i'm i'm the big boss and this is just the way i like it this is the way it's going to be um because then in the end well if you're like that then why are you having all those meetings for <laughs> right right and then people just they'll stop bringing ideas and that sort of thing and it becomes stagnant so i think you found something extremely important that is that it's um being comfortable in yourself and knowing that you don't know things that's fine right you you know as a leader you have these skills that that are important and you know making decisions and and guiding the, the team and that sort of thing but you can't hold it all uh it's, it's impossible um if you are then then you're a detriment to the team you kind of get stuck uh in, in a role and you get the team stuck and the organization stuck and you're not doing anybody any uh, any favor so yeah you're absolutely right being a open-minded being open to those opinions and I tell uh, new leaders as well, I say, look, you need to delegate because a lot of times your brand new leaders, they come in and what got them to this leadership role is because they were really good at whatever they were doing before, whether it was coding or, mm. you know, running reports or whatever they were doing. They, they were really sort of good grew into those shoes. Yeah. So what do we do with people like that? Well, we promote them. Now you're a manager. <laughs> and uh, a lot of times we don't give enough training and that sort of thing. So when I see them, I say, look, you need to delegate you need to pass that off to other people. Like this, this work that you were doing before needs to be passed off. If they can do it, they're not going to do it exactly the way that you do it, right? Everybody has their own perspective on the way that they do stuff. The exact same form, people are going to do it in a different way. Um, and it doesn't mean it's wrong. They might not even tell, do it as, as well as you did. Yeah, and, and that's okay, right? <laughs> that's okay. If they can do it, and what I tell them as a rule of thumb, I said, look, if they can do it 80% as good as you, that's great. Give it to them right? Uh, give them a little bit of instruction. It makes them better because they're going to grow. It makes you better as a leader because you're going to be able to guide them and say, hey, actually, this this one blank that you're always leaving, that's actually really important for this reason, right? And this is why why we need to make sure we, we do it this way or whatever. But, but uh, the point is that it will make you both better, takes a load off of you. And then as leaders kind of grow into those roles, I'm like, all right, now are you training your replacement? Who's going to take your job you know as as a manager who's gonna take your job so you can move to the next one always be thinking about that succession planning and everything is Absolutely. really important too mm-hmm. makes perfect sense and also finding those right people in the organization and understanding how to empower them mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah it, it that's yeah, that's, <laughs> so uh, having gone through uh, d- uh, doing a lot of hiring and unfortunately having to do some firing as well it is you know you can't underestimate the, the human element and the skills. There's a lot of people that are like, eh, they're never going to make it. And then they surprise me, right? And they're like, wow, these, I can't believe we, you know, li- went this long without this person. And others, I'm like, they're going to be perfect. They're going to rock this. And, and then they get in the role and you're like, whoa, I screwed up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, figuring out that that human piece uh, is always a challenge. Always a challenge. Now, in your, in your book, 
um, <clears throat> in your in your um, um, in your book, making new mistakes. Um, you, you you cover you know theory, you cover questions, you cover frameworks that are yeah. applicable to to better leadership and, and running more effective meetings, um, and also best ways to approach new innovation. Are you keen to unpack that a little bit for the listeners? Anybody you know interested in maybe you know get, getting their hands on the book? Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, like most people that are you know like to to learn, I, you know, I, I read a lot of books, and I uh, I look at what I've found is that a lot of times there's this this high overarching theory and and that sort of thing, and after I get done with the book, I'm like, well, yeah, that all makes sense, but how does it apply to, to Travis today, right? How do I kind of put that in action? So what I wanted to do is sort of bridge that gap. Like I don't want it to be a, an instruction manual, right? You know, they want to show up, you know, sit at your desk, that sort of thing. But I also didn't want to be, you know, be authentic, right? Which, all right, what does that mean it, exactly, right? Um, I, it's aspirational and all that, but I don't know exactly what that looks like uh, when I show up to work every day. So I try to bridge that gap where there's, uh, hopefully there's a good balance of, some theory to kind of stretch your thinking and stretch your, your mind a little bit. And then there's some practical steps on ways to, like you mentioned, to, to run a meeting. So, uh, and just to share that is to have a purpose and outcomes and agenda for every meeting that you go into and, and asking your team to put that together too, for every meeting that they call for you. And you'll be surprised how many meetings fall off when they're like, well, maybe I don't need that to have this. Uh, I could kind of figure out myself. Once people kind of think through it a little bit, they're like, yeah. uh, I think I could just ask this question. I don't think I need everybody, but it's being intentional about it. It's coming up with why are, why are we meeting today? Why are we coming together um, to do this? What, what are you looking for as far as an outcome? Are you looking for a decision? Am I just you know, letting you know what's going on? Is it just an update and that sort of thing? And then having an agenda, like this is how we're gonna I'm gonna give you a background, a status check of where we are on the project, what we need to do next. I need you to you know, call Bob in accounting and give him some more money or whatever it is, right? So people can prepare and can know. And if you send that out early enough, what you'll find is that people say, oh, well, I'll just call Bob now, right? And they're, they're willing, yeah, it totally makes sense. You've kept me up to date on what's going on. So I'm just yeah. gonna call Bob and we'll take care of this type of thing. That's it, no need to make and, for that. Yeah, and other times it, it may need, it's like, oh yeah, accounting is, they've been falling behind. We need to get together and, and actually uh, escalate this entire uh, thing because other departments have been having the same issue or whatever it is, right? That you'll, you'll actually be able to, uh, to bring that together. And even if you don't do it formally every time, at least if you're like, uh, I need to have a meeting with somebody as you're typing it out saying, all right, why am I, why am I meeting? Why are we, and then who do I need to have there? Do I need to have the entire team there? Or is it just, you know, two or three different people or that sort of thing? Um, like I said, it really cuts down on the number of meetings and who comes to the meetings because nothing's worse, you know, than sitting in a, in a meeting that you don't need to be at and kind of mm. wasting your time and, and yeah. that sort of thing and wasting other people's time. You know, I feel bad when I do that. So yeah. I, I don't come from a corporate world, but I've, you know, I've like in my career, I've been a personal trainer for many years back in Sydney. I've trained a lot of people um, working in corporate uh, world. And, um, and I, one thing that I always remember, you know, come, they come in for a session and like, Hey, how was your day? Oh, I just had a shitty day. And, <laughs> Two meetings, it's pointless. And so one thing about meetings, right? What I, the way I understand it is obviously it's to solve some problems, to have some sort of an agenda, set an outcome. But um, is maybe a purpose of a meeting also to basically just get together? Because I mean, we're, as a, as a humans, we are herd species, right? And everybody's working their own cubicle. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't really promote a team culture if everybody is secluded, right? At some point, you got to get people on a regular basis together right now whether it's meeting or 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 team building event right yeah you're absolutely right and especially now right with all this pandemic stuff going on and and with the rise of remote work even before the pandemic so what we at three gimbals have done as a company is uh we're remote we're all over the the u.s and so the teams don't always work um, together or on the same project or that sort of thing so what we did is we put together we call them baseball cards so it has your picture has you know um, some of you, a little bit of your background, where you've worked, where you went to school, that sort of thing. Um, what you like to do uh, in your free time, hobbies. Um, we ask people to you know, put in something that people may not know about you, type of thing. Um, because I may never, you know, if you're in a totally different team that you're in Australia and I'm here in, in DC, and we may never work on a project together. But 
if I can look, it's like, why is this guy always emailing me? Who is this guy? Right. I can at least go in there and say, Oh, okay. Well, he was a personal trainer and you know, here's a little bit more about his background and that sort of thing. Um, you know, it just puts a face with a name for you know, people that you, you know, don't always see. But to your point though, as far as having meetings, um, for team building and getting together. That's another thing we've done, especially with the, the advent of uh, COVID and, and all that sort of thing. So on our individual teams, we'll get together. That's uh, like every other week or so. And we'll just have a coffee, right? We'll just all sit there and just kind of, you know, sit there with our coffee and just kind of BS on zoom and just kind of talk and just kind of see how things are going. You know, how are you dealing with the pandemic? You know, you made this one sick, you know, what did you do today? Were you able to go out? Those kinds of things. Um, just to you know, get some of that camaraderie and, and, and break and that that, take away that seriousness of a regular team meeting. Right. <clears throat> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Take that pressure off. And it's just, you know, just people, you know, just kind of talking and uh, getting to know each other a little bit better. So, uh, yeah. Another, another form of, uh, of team building that I find works really well is through fitness and through an obstacle course racing. This is what I've yeah. done again with my clients in the past. And I've had a bunch of, bunch of, uh, bunch of guys that used to train at my boot camp and they were in their 40s and 50s and that's where sort of the boot camp was you know the the tough mother was starting out i think oh, it was 2010 yeah. 2011 i think tough mother was around for a few years and i said to them let's do it and they're like oh, no, i don't feel like doing it but i at the end I, I you know i convinced them and we did it and and they didn't really know each other i trained them more sort of uh, separately and some of them were in separate different boot camp groups but what i found was doing that event together and it was, I think it was like seven eight of us and you know you've got 20ks running through the mud running through all the obstacles you know running yeah. through the finishing line getting electrocuted <laughs> and then yep. they just chuck a space blanket on you and give you give you a b <laughs> but one thing that was amazing was you know every everybody was just like they all had like this life-changing experience that oh wow i'm so glad i did it it's like i i found this you know a, a, a new level that i was able to push through and and we just had a beer and we just standing in together and just having a giggle and you know talking about you know the best obstacle or what was the hardest obstacle yeah. and it was great um any anything you guys done in the past that sort of falls into that you know fitness team building type of thing yeah well so in the army of course right that, that was <laughs> that was that was what we did a lot of and but it's it's really interesting too. so i had this instructor who would always say you know i would come in and I would have a great landing or a great, you know, uh, approach or, or whatever maneuver. And I'd be like, yeah, a little proud of myself. And he'd look over and he'd say, anybody can ex excel in ideal circumstances uh, because maybe there wasn't a lot of wind or, you know, the conditions were just right and that sort of thing and kind of, you know, humble me a little bit, um, which was, which was good, which was what I needed. But beyond that, it is, we remember those hard times that you're talking about. Like you'll have a much, you know, like, in the corporate world too, it's, you know, when things kind of aren't going right and they kind of suck and you've got to, you got to band together. Everybody's got to pitch in and, and make something happen and, and get it done. And then you get through it. That's what you talk about, right? That's what brings you together is those moments. It's not when everything's going great and, uh, you know, uh, money's pouring in and, you know, all the clients are happy and that sort of thing. Those, it's good to kind of rest and relax a little bit there, but it doesn't really stretch you to, to what you were talking about mm. before and really make you a you know, stronger team and make those connections and that sort of thing. Cause that's when you find out what people are really like. I'm sure you see this in your, you know, in your, in your work as a uh, personal trainer, it's like when people are really, you know, at their limit and, you know, they don't feel like they can give any more uh, and that sort of thing, you know, do they give up? Do they keep trying? Right. You know, and where is that for different people? And cause I'm sure you've worked with people you like, I know he could do a little bit, he's sandbagging on me, you know, I know he could do a little bit more and, and that sort of thing. And you know, others that are, you know, they're about to puke and they're, and they're pushing and you can tell, and it's the same thing in the corporate world. You can tell who's kind of like, all right, they're not, they're not really pulling their weight. You know, they could do a little bit more. Yeah. Um, it's a tough one though, because it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing to say that to somebody because yeah. especially, you know, the, the older we are more set in our ways we are right and <laughs> I remember this one client that I trained and, you know, he was very set in his own way and, you know, he's trying to achieve good results and, and he would, and then he would drop off and he was, you know, get back to sort of a, a lazy, lazy patch for a couple of months. And, you know, I was trying to get him to cook better. And, and then one day I just sort of, sort of lost it. And I said to him sort of the way, what I thought, you know, what he needs to really do and just put his shit together. And, um, mm -hmm. and then he stopped training. He stopped training mm -hmm. for, 
he was just like oh, how rude you are that's so disrespectful uh so unprofessional you know i just sort of laid it out the way the way it was and that was after many many tries right yeah and before i even did that and you know, i questioned myself the whole time i questioned myself mm. and i spoke to other trainers and they said nah you, you know you just gotta pull pull them up on it sometimes it's not you sometimes it's the client and so yeah he 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 quit on me he he was very um uh, angry at me and uh, and then yeah just sort of dropped off for about two weeks and then i got a text message <laughs> hey you know what yeah i think you were right you know i thought about it this and that and he came back and then and then you know and then because he was sort of aware of it now aware of these issues aware of these uh setbacks that he's put himself on um we're actually able to get good results so sometimes you got to do it yeah Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what a service you did for him. Right. So as he's getting better and, and that sort of thing, we all, you know, that's not uncommon, right? I know I need that sometimes. I need, you know, boot in the ass sometimes to, to, to get stuff done um, and uh, to be held accountable and, and that sort of thing. So uh, we all need that. And, um, and it's a show, it's a sign of respect and a sign of um, that you care about somebody that you're willing to do that. Like if you didn't care, it's like, well, whatever he's paying right? You know, um, it, it, then who cares, right? Um, that certainly could have been a, a perspective, but really, you know, I, uh, really caring about somebody that they, you know, that you would go out and, and do that. And um, yeah, just give them some of that tough love. I think that's really, really cool and really important uh, in all realms. Absolutely. I think whatever it is um, that you do at some point, things may not um, not, you know, may stop working, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you got to realize, okay, well, I need to do something different. I need to innovate the way I do things. Um, you've got a really good story of, of innovation and how it can fail, right? Uh, with, yeah. with, with Kodak story. Yeah. So when I was starting to write this book, I, my whole idea behind it was like, you know, how do companies miss out on innovation and how they make that adaptation to you know, finding, how do they find the next big thing and, and all of that. And one story that, that came out was the story about Kodak. And I was like, ah, so when I would explain, I would uh, do all these interviews uh, with people I was interviewing for the book. And I would say, yeah, yeah, well, kind of what I'm getting at with this book is kind of like, you know, with Kodak, when they, you know, they actually invented the digital camera back in 1975, but you don't see Kodak around anymore. You're like, you know, like nobody has a Kodak camera, you know, what did they do? They screwed up and that sort of thing. So I would kind of share that just as a, overview of the type of book I was writing. Mm. And I shared that with one guy one day. He says, well, do you want to talk to, to the engineer who invented the, the digital camera? I'm like, yeah. So uh, I got connected with Steve Sasson is his name. And he was fantastic. He shared his story with me. And just quickly, the highlights of it is that um, he uh, came out of grad school. Uh, he was an electrical engineer. And mm-hmm. he lived in the town where, where Kodak was headquartered and their labs were and everything. And they had a lot of mechanical engineers. So they were really trying to get the, and again, this was in the seventies. So they're really trying to get the, the fine watch like mechanisms and the cameras trying to get those really tight and that sort of thing. So they had a lot of mechanical engineers and he was one of the very first electrical engineers that came in. He's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. So they gave him this project and um, they said, Hey, we're looking in this, you know, um, uh, there's this new type of storage like a thumb drive basically. And they said, Hey, we're not sure what this does play around with it. And so Steve, he never really cared about film. He, he even said, that, he says, I don't even like film. I don't know why I'm working at Kodak, but he said, you know what? I'm going to take this a little bit further. I'm going to see if I can make a camera and take a picture with no moving parts. And, um, and that's what he did. He was able to figure it all out. He was, had access to all these you know, crazy um, tools and, and things like that in the Kodak factory. And he was able to, to, to make this camera, that uh, by today's standards, it's awful, right? It was the yeah. very first one. And it, uh, he said, it's like the, uh, he would take a picture uh, in the conference room of the, of, of the people attending and it would come out like the, um, the resolution of a, an icon, basically. It's just very, very low resolution. It would take like a minute or two minutes to actually process. It would just take forever and all that. But, um, he, you know, he, it was just a challenge to him, you know, to, to do that. So, and before talking to Steve, I was, I was like, well, Kodak, you know, they're dumb. They didn't realize what they had, you know, they're just bad business people and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I sort of shared that with, uh, with Steve. And he said, well, they were asking a lot of the same questions that you're asking, right? But think about 1975, where there was no internet. When people took pictures, uh, it was for an event. So it was a birthday, it was a wedding, it was, you know, something special. 
and then they would have a party and <laughs> pass the pictures around. <laughs> exactly, exactly. After like it, it was an event, and you only had so many that you could take. You know, it was like twelve, mm. twenty-four, thirty-six, right? That you yeah, could, I remember uh, that. That you could take, yeah, and um, and you wouldn't know what you got until you got it processed, uh, type of thing. So, um, so there was that, and then from the business perspective, they had three touch points with the with the customers. So obviously, you already had the camera, but you'd have to go out buy film, go to the pharmacy, buy film. And then you go and take your pictures, take it back, get it processed, drop it off to get it processed, and then come back a third time to pick up your pictures that were you know, developed, and then hopefully you know, buy some more film. So from the business perspective, like that's three times we get them. That's great. You know, they're always going to buy some new accessory or something like that for their camera. So this is why would we change that? The company had been around for a hundred years um, in doing cameras and and wet film. So he said it was really tough for them to kind of figure that out. Um, but again, there was, there was no internet. Um, oh, and he, when he would show the pictures, it was on a TV screen. There weren't even you know, projectors or, you know, things like that. So, you know, so they're asking Steve, like, all right, this is great. You know, this, this is kind of cool. I can see how it could be maybe improved, but are people going to look at, you know, a picture on their TV of themselves? Um, you know, how is this supposed to, how are they going to share it? Right. Again, there's no email or anything like that. How are they going to share it with people? How is all this going to work? And so they just weren't able to connect that those different things. And it just took them a while uh, before all those other pieces came out with, you know, the internet and, um, and then actual, you know, the, the technology matured and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, so now Kodak, uh, they, you know, sort of had that opportunity. Um, Steve said, yeah, yeah, in 1975, yeah, we didn't, could have figured, you know, could have figured that out. He said, maybe in the 90s, there might have been another chance where they could have come in and made better cameras and and those sorts of things that, that would be in your iphone instead of you know what's in there now uh, it would be kodak uh, related so the other smart thing they did when it came to um the business side is that they patented a lot of the of the technology um, mm-hmm. so as they were learning in their lab and that sort of thing so you know maybe it's not a, a whole kodak camera that's in your phone but there's a lot of the technology is, is patented and they're able to you know kind of profit off of it that way. But as a company, they're, you know, a shell of what they used to be. They're mostly in the commercial market. Mm. Um, still doing white film and that sort of stuff, but uh, much smaller than they used to be. And, and kind of a missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, the one thing, the one thing I like about what they did is they were selling a certain experience. I know when I was a kid and like mm-hmm. you said, you know, that you, you're going, you know, you've got those limited, you know, 24, 24 photos that you take on your camera and then you go and you, you, you put the photos to, to get a mate and then, you get a whole family together. And so they were essentially providing that experience, selling the experience of getting people together. And then, you know, and like I said, you did you had that, that excitement of not knowing what those pictures going to look like. And so then you got that stack of pictures and like, oh, this is cool. And everybody's sitting around in the living room and you're passing those photos and, and, you, and you're talking about all those different, what you see on the picture. I think, I think from that standpoint, it was amazing. And, and I really missed it because that was an opportunity to get everybody together and and it's 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 not it's not like that anymore um okay. so it's and like i mean in business is always it's it's a common thing to say is you know sell the experience you know if you can provide a great experience then then you're always winning so i think i could probably understand how they saw that as now we're we're ironclad nothing can hurt us because we have those three touch points and it's personal and so yeah it's an interesting one yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're right about that experience. You know, that is, uh, and, and I, I have the same memories as well as when, when I was a child and you're right. How can you, you know, we, we don't do that now. It's like, Oh, that one didn't take, I'll delete that one. I'll just take another one. And, and, and that sort of thing. It's just instantaneous. Um, but you're right. Yeah. I, I, I do miss that. And, uh, having that coming together piece was always really neat and really special. Mm. I mean, we would go on holidays, right. And then we come back and then our friends <clears> be like friends or, you know, other members of family like hi how was the holiday oh yeah come along on saturday we have a dinner and we'll <laughs> show you all the photos yeah. right yeah, you don't have yeah. that everybody's just sharing it's just you, you don't get that sort of uh you know everything social media and everybody's just talking remotely uh i mean yeah. now everybody has to but um right. really before mm. no, you're hopefully right somebody comes up with something creative and might you know yeah. bring it back a little bit that'd be cool absolutely yeah i hope so i hope so it was a lot of fun now, Travis, um, yourself, you're, you're with what you do. You're not only, um, you're, you're director of, um, at, uh, three gimbal. What do you do there? Yeah. So I'm, uh, 
so it's kind of funny, you know, a lot of people say, you know, well, tell me about yourself. It seems like that would be an easy question uh, to, to answer. And uh, it depends on, you know, where to start. So the way I like to talk about it is, yes, my, my title is Director of Growth, and that's both internal and external growth. So mm -hmm. helping with our uh, human capital planning, with uh, performance planning for our, um, for our staff, and helping out with some of the hiring and things like that, some of the processes and contracts and, and those sorts of things internally that we need to grow as a company. And then also doing some external growth, so some of the marketing and business development and those sorts of things as well. Um, th that's what my role is. So uh, in a way, COO? Um, I, I touch on some of those areas, but um, yeah, well, yeah, I, it's close to that, I would say. Yeah. Chief mm -hmm. of staff, maybe it might be a better um, type of title, but yeah. Because, and I guess the reason I, I shy away from that is we're, we, we figure out what we call ourselves for one, but then I'll, mm -hmm. because I'm, when I think of a COO, I think of someone who is doing like who knows the business, who's been an, like in our case, has been an analyst and has that experience and that sort of thing. Whereas, you know, I don't, so I see myself more of like, eh, more of like a chief of staff type of, I, I know all the back office business stuff that yeah. needs to get done and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And then outside of that, based on all your prior experiences being a pilot working for, and you work for White House at some point as well. I did. Yeah. So it was actually a great experience. I worked in the, the counter-narcotics uh, field for the last half of my military career and I had a great time doing that. That led to a role where I worked at the White House um, and it's the drug policy office there. And it was great. So I did everything from, you know, assisting law enforcement and, and those sorts of things when I was in the military to running programs that, that did that sort of work to uh, doing the policy and, and strategy at the White House, um, which was obviously an amazing experience. A lot of very talented people that were there uh, when I was there. And yeah, I just had a really great time doing that. It was a, it was a great honor and a, a great way to cap out my career. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I enjoyed well, it. What was it like to like get in all the clearances? Because I mean, I would, I would, I would think mm -hmm. there's big step, big, 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 bit of a process before they let you in, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so the way it worked is I, I um, already had uh, a lot of the, the clearances because of my, my military work, but then there's still other clearances that you needed to get um, to go uh, into the, uh, to actually work in the white house and, you know, all kinds of paperwork and that sort of stuff. And, and a lot of briefings on, you know, you're representing the, the president and the vice president and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, you held to this a little bit higher standard um, in what you say and how you act and that sort of thing. So it was really, um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And then leaving, it's all, you know, saying, all right, now that you're leaving, you know, <laughs> make sure you're, you know, you still conduct yourself accordingly and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. Right. Cause it's in you, it's in, it's, it's in what you've done in the past. So yeah. Cool. Now, um, how do you how do you keep fit to be able to stay sharp as a leader? Yeah, that's a good question, right? So, and, and so part of this pandemic piece has been that um, so I was in the army, like we've talked about, and so I didn't have a choice, right? I stayed fit because I had to. Um, and then when I left, I was like, eh, well, I'm kind of lazy. I really don't want to all the time, and that sort of thing. So, I kind of packed on some pounds, and this past year, actually, I have pictures around Christmas time, and I'm like. And I don't like that guy's face. He's kind of fat. You know, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. He's kind of puffy. Yeah. And uh, so I made the decision, like, I need to eat better. And so I uh, cut out um, a lot of carbs and a lot of sugar. And um, I do just a lot of walking. I've got some injuries and that sort of thing. But I did a lot of walking um, as well. And so I've been able to, to shed 20 pounds during this uh, um, during this pandemic thing since January. So That's pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty happy with myself uh, about that. Uh, but it's important. I went, uh, I went to a, a course uh, about two years ago and it was a leadership course and they really, so not only was it the like leadership fundamentals or yeah, it's for executives. So it wasn't fundamentals, but it's like leadership principles and, and those sorts of things, like the things you would expect. They also spent a lot of time on nutrition and fitness and how important that was to keep your, you know, it's one thing to keep your, um, uh, your mind healthy and, mm -hmm. and engaged and that sort of thing. That only works if your body is healthy and working in the in the right ways, and um, yeah, especially as I'm getting older, I'm realizing like, you know, I can't just get away with the stuff I used to as a kid. You know, I need to to, to keep an eye on it. So um, yeah, I think it's really important to to make make sure you have a healthy and fit lifestyle. 
Absolutely. It'll be very interesting to look at stats and, you know, the stats on obesity and what that looks like now during the, mm-hmm. the COVID and that everybody's at home because I would I would guess that it's even worse. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's something... I in in the fitness industry it's it's a, it's for us it's like a, it's a, it's a battle that we're always constantly trying to trying to tackle you know how we can decrease um the rate of obesity in the world because mm-hmm. um yeah there's still too many people that don't take it seriously and mm-hmm. and there's stuff going on that doesn't doesn't help promote that so um yeah it's so important when you exercise when you eat healthy um you perform better you feel better mm-hmm. um your brain is sharp there's actually studies now that that, that they mm-hmm. they they say that you know strength training as a direct correlation to your cognitive ability. So when you stop, you know, lifting weights and, and you become a, a, a slob, let's put it that way, yeah, um, yeah. become unfit, overweight, um, then it does affect your cognitive ability. It makes kind of sense because, you yeah. know, your circulatory system doesn't operate as well and your heart doesn't operate as efficiently. So, um, yeah, absolutely. For anybody listening, you know, and this is this is the point I like to touch, touch on with every single one of my guests because... Mm. I want people to share their own, you know, their own way to keep fit. And for yourself, mm-hmm. it's it, it was, you know, healthy nutrition, uh, mm-hmm. which is always a really good way to start, uh, especially if you're trying to lose weight. And then walking, so excellent, excellent opportunity. Um, so, and that's an easy one, right? Walking yeah. is an easy one. So, anybody else listening, um, you guys listening to this podcast, you know, if you are looking at, you know, improving yourself, I mean, this is all based. This whole thing has always been about, you know, inspiring success uh, for you guys. So. Um, you've had a chance to, you know, obviously listen to Travis um, on his story of, you know, his, his career progress and where he's at right now. But he wouldn't, you know, he probably wouldn't be where he is if he didn't sort of stay, stay, stay fit through, you know, training in army and all that. You're, you're absolutely right. Fit. And I would also say to people that say like, well, I don't have time, right? You know, I can't fit that in. I can't get to the gym. I can't do these sorts of things. So when I was, I served in the Obama administration and, um, he made time. Like he's the leader of the free world. He made time to go out and he would play basketball and, and do other things like that. Um, and so you, you have time. <laughs> if he has time, you have time. Uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, and I don't mean to like, be judgmental and on my high horse, right? There's days I don't feel like doing mm. it either, but, um, but it is important. Um, and you need to make the time to do it. Um, and it's, because it's not always about you either. You know, I, I, I have kids and my wife, they depend on me as well. So it's, it's for them as well. Uh, and the other people that depend on you too, that, um, you know, it's not, it's not always just about you. It's, it's about those around you. Yeah. So. You got to bring that higher value to it. You got to have, have mm-hmm. um, give it more priority because mm-hmm. when you look at it that way and, and exactly, you're exactly right. You can make time. I mean, the day has 24 hours and mm-hmm. if you, if you exercise for, at least 30 minutes a day that's like two percent two percent out of your day it's nothing um so as long as you know i can i mean people prioritize different things career work personal time watching movies uh but i think the, the big one is just realizing okay well long term okay i might go and watch netflix and it's a comfort thing to do and just relaxing things that's great um but long term is it going to serve you for better health Probably not. Maybe a temporary fix for mental, like mental health, because you get to yeah. de- de-stress and switch off from work. It's good, but you can also do that um, with walking or exercising. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I like to think about it as a as a legacy thing as well, because um, I think you know if 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 an individual exercises um, regularly, becomes a role model for others, right? And and if you got a family, um, you want to be that role model for them because then when they grow up, you know, they're going to grow up more active and then they're going to be better. And it can create that chain reaction in the world where we are all more active, all more fit and much more healthier population. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's really important. Like I said, it's, it's, it's bigger than you, right. Or than any of us. It's, it's those that are around you. Like you said, the, the legacy, I think that's really important. Mm. Absolutely. Travis, it was great to have you on the show today. We've learned so much and I'm going to make sure um, to, and for you guys listening as well, um, just so you know, um, last in a couple of episodes, I've now incorporated um, a transcript. So what I do with these shows now, I do a thorough transcript and I do, there's a really cool thing that I found online, um, a keyboard extractor. So we're actually going to pull about typically around 30, 40 keywords, um, you know, subject matter topics that we discussed um, and also, um, you can now find timestamps. 
So you'll be able to, you know, go back to a particular point of our conversation about certain topic. You can always listen to that as well. So you can find all those little things. Um, this is what I do. I mean, it takes me a fair bit of time to edit every episode, but it's, you know, if it helps you guys to navigate through each episode and find what you're looking for, that's what you find. Um, back to you, Travis. Um, how can people find you? Yeah, the easiest way is uh, probably on LinkedIn. So Travis Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T on LinkedIn is, is a great way to find me. If you want to know more about the book, it's on uh, Amazon. Uh, Making New Mistakes is the name of the book. And you can also check out the, the book websites, makingnewmistakes.info. And there's some information there about the book and some of the stories and that sort of thing. So those are the two best places to find me. Excellent. I'll be sure to put it all in the show notes. Travis, awesome to have you on the show today. I look forward to hopefully you know catch up again in a, in a, in a few months' time and just to get a bit of an update of where you're at with your 3D printing. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what's the latest on the home projects? I've got some cool little home projects myself, so I'm quite excited to get them done. Awesome. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your day, mate, and um, let's get you on the flip side. We're like in right. Australia. <laughs> <laughs>